So that being said, if you'll turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. I'm going to read the whole chapter, then we're going to come back and focus on just a couple of verses. Isaiah 55. O everyone that thirsteth, come to the waters, and he that hath no money, come, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk, without money, without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? And why your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make you an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the peoples, a leader, a commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God, and for the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified thee. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not there, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my words be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the things whereinto I sent. For ye shall go out with joy, and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up a fir tree, and instead of the briar shall come up a myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord a name for the everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. That's Isaiah chapter 53 read in its entirety. And where I want to focus today is verse 8 and 9. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Another translation reads it this way, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. That next verse, uh, all the translations translate it, For my strengths. But looking at what it says, you could insert um, but as in a comparison. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so we pause here and it's an interesting question to ask ourselves, how much higher is the earth from the heaven? How, how far, if we had to measure from here to heaven, is it? I don't know. Hence the point. This is how different God's thoughts are from ours. They are immeasurably different. Just as though we cannot measure the distance from here to where the heavens actually are, 
And likewise, we cannot understand God's thoughts for us or toward us because they are immeasurable. We cannot understand them. His ways are not just different, or not just better, they're different. I think this is an important thing to consider many, many times. I think that we, as people who live on this earth, who are made in the image of God, but yet are set within the confines of this world, we tend to think that God is just better than we are. No, He's entirely different than we are. We spent many, many Sundays discussing this. And so when we talk about what God has in mind, what His thoughts are, it's not that they're just better than my thoughts. They're entirely different than my thoughts all the way around. See, my thoughts are based on earthly and worldly things. His thoughts are based on heavenly things. It contains the earth. Our thoughts are based on time. We cannot escape time. But his thoughts are timeless. Our thoughts are limitless. God's thoughts are without limit and unsearchable. So when we consider our thoughts and we think about what it is that we're thinking, what it is that we're planning, what it is that we think we're going to do tomorrow, what it is that we stop and ponder about the past, what is it that we're doing now, we must understand that we are bound and confined by certain things that we cannot escape. (coughs) The first, as I mentioned, is time. I've mentioned this before, but if you ever want to try and do something fun, sit around and try and focus on what eternity is. It's kind of hard. In fact, it's really hard. And and, and you'll sit there and eventually your mind will wander because you just can't fathom what eternity is. We are made and constructed in a system of time. That's why God gave us the moon and the stars and we have seasons and we have days. We cannot escape it and we cannot think outside of it because we are confined by it. And so when we have problems that we go to the Lord with and we say, this thing is coming up that I'm worried about, or this thing has happened that I have a concern over, understand that God's thoughts about those things are not bound by the time that we are in because God has no time that he's bound in. He is both before and after and now all at the same time. I don't even know how else to describe it. And it sounds silly to say, but so often we consider that God is somehow fixed within this thing that we call time because we don't know what life is like without it. But God is not bound by time. Psalms 94 and 11 says, The Lord knows the thoughts of man that are but a breath. But a breath. Doesn't take very long to breathe, does it? It's how long our life is. Immeasurable. Isaiah 46 and 10 says, I declare the end from the beginning and the ancient times from what is still to come, I say. My purpose will stand and my good pleasures I will accomplish. And so when we begin to think about all the things that we are tasked with to do in our lives, when we look at the to-do list that we have for this coming week, when we look at all the things that we feel like we must accomplish in the future, and we look at the things that we did or didn't do in the past, We must understand that God's thoughts about what it is that we are to do, are doing, or have done are not the same way that we think about them because He understands them without time. We get really, really wrapped up in time. But that is not how God thinks. It's not how He operates. We are also bound by a certain amount of evilness in this world. 
many, many times when I'm at work, I'll have conversations with folks and it's always interesting. There's a group of people who seem to think that we're all really born like somehow inherently good. We just got to teach people, you know, to bring that out in themselves. I, of course, think I have the biblical answer to that. And I have the exact opposite view that we are born evil people. We have to be taught to be good. And all you have to do is look at a small child and you'll realize real easily you got to teach them to share, teach them to be nice, teach them to do things that are good. You don't have to teach a little kid to do anything bad. They just do it naturally. And that's not criticizing young children. It's the way we all are. We are born into bondage because of sin. And because of that, we are limited to what we understand. We are limited to our choices. And we don't understand everything that goes on around us because we are inside of this world that has fallen because there is sin here. And so when we are faced with challenges and we are faced with things that come, we must understand that we are bound by this evil world. That means that there are consequences for things that we do both good and bad. We must understand that we live in an evil time and an evil generation. And maybe this is where what I read before comes into play. If that was written in the 1920s, talking about how horrible the world has become, and I could have let you read more. There's a lot of interesting discussions in there. It's just as evil now. And we can bemoan and complain all we want to. And we should try and make things better. We should try and return to the foundations that are set out in the principles by Scripture. But we must also understand that we live in an evil world. It will never be good. It will never be perfect until God sits on the throne on the world. We are bound by that. And by that, we will make bad choices. We will have bad desires and evil thoughts. Something else we're bound by is ourselves. We're bound by ourselves. Jeremiah 17, 19 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick, or might say desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the minds to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Oh, now we see we tie in the children's service too, don't we? The heart is deceitful above all things. We as Christians and as believers sometimes are a little too cavalier with this, aren't we? Sometimes it's right and sometimes it's just the way we express things. My heart feels full. I feel like I have to say this, but we must be careful because there's a difference between our heart telling us to do something and the spirit telling us to do something. It's very, very challenging to distinguish sometimes is what is it that I want to do as a person, again, bound by all these things, and what is it God is telling me to do? And sometimes I get those confused. Sometimes you will get those confused. We must be very careful, though, because the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? Who can know it? God can know it, and God does know it, because God is outside of all of these constraints that we have. We must be very careful. The scriptures talk about this a lot. It tells us to guard our hearts from the evil. But we must be careful not to always trust our heart. Because it can and will lead us astray. Why? Well, because of the previous thing I mentioned. We're all fallen and we're all evil. We want to do what we want to do. Another verse in Jeremiah 7.24 says, But they did not obey or incline their ear 
but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backwards and not forward. It's very, very easy for us to think, well, I know what I should do and do it. But if we are trusting our own strength, if we are trusting our own heart to tell us what is right or wrong, if we base our morals on how we feel at the moment, we're going to go the wrong way. That's why a foundation and education and understanding of the Scripture is so vitally important so that when you are challenged, when you have times when you must make a decision, you don't make a decision based on the whim of how you feel that day. You make a decision based on what the Scripture says you should or should not do. I'll keep you out of trouble, too. But you have to know it to do that. As I mentioned, we're bound by the physical Psalms 53 says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seeks after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. That's the best I could come up with to talk about Again, how we're bound physically. I can only run so fast. I can only see so well. I can only do things physically within what I have to work with. But this is not how God operates. It's not at all how God operates. God says you have faith, you can move mountains. God can do anything that He wants at any time. He can make the sun to stand still during a battle. He can make the shadow to go forward or fall back on steps. He can have an entire army kill itself. He can do anything that he wants to. He can divide the sea. He can rain down food from heaven. He can raise his son back to life. God is above all and in all and can do anything he wants. And we are exactly the opposite. We are limited by the frail, weak bodies and minds that we have. And we live within those bounds. But the reality is his thoughts are not contained to the physical. His thoughts are the spiritual, and he has the power to do anything. Lastly, we're bound within ourselves. Matthew 15 and 18 says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Again, this ties back in with the idea that we're evil. What comes out of us, what comes out of our heart, as in the innermost part of who we are, is nothing good. And it comes out of our mouth. And it comes out of our actions. And these are the things that defile us, that make us dirty, that cause us to be in sin, that cause us to separate from God, to not understand or even comprehend the thoughts that He has. And this is why His thoughts are not just better. They're entirely different. Because none of this describes God. Because in his heart is not um, um, these things. He's not corrupt. He's not thinking about adultery and murder and theft and false witness and lying and slander. He is thinking about the pure and the good things which are himself. And so we should do that as well. So we are bound by time. We are bound by evilness. We're bound by ourselves. We're bound by the physical. God is not bound by any. Of these things. If you recall the series that we did, he is incomprehensible. 
He is self-sufficient. He is self-existent. Those two things are different. He's eternal. He's infinite. He's wise. He's immutable. He's omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. He is good, faithful, just, merciful, gracious, sovereign. He is holy, entirely set apart and separate from everything that we are. And so when we understand our state and we understand God's state and we reread verses 8 through 9, think about it this way, for my thoughts, this is God speaking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What's your plan for next year? Is it what God's telling you to do? Or is it what you've thought to do? See, I stand here before you today, not because I've mastered any of this, because I know it to be true, entirely different from trying to live it to be true. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. <laughs> God's infinite thoughts are far greater than our limited ability to comprehend them. God's infinite thoughts are far greater than our limited ability to comprehend them. Did it make sense for the Apostle Paul to give up and become a missionary? He was probably on the fast track to be the high priest. Highly educated, highly credentialed, good name, probably wealthy, etc., etc., Think of all the influence he could have had if he just kept quiet about this salvation experience he had and bided his time so he could rise up to the ranks, you see, of the priests. And then think about how many people he could tell then. That wasn't God's thought. That's man's thought. Think about how amazing it would have been for Moses to have taken over as Pharaoh of Egypt. That wasn't God's thought. Brothers and sisters, we are bound by time. We are bound by sin. We are bound by ourselves. We are bound by the physical world. And all we can do is think inside of these things, and God doesn't look at anything that way at all. God uses men and women in ways that we never would have expected that are beyond anything that we can think about or beyond anything that we can expect to produce and give glory to him confounds the wise because his thoughts are not my thoughts. And how I would do it is not how he's going to do it. Psalms 139 says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! His ways don't always make sense to us, do they? But we can rest in the knowledge that he is good and his thoughts toward us are good. And so even in the hard times, even in the good times, his thoughts toward us are good. So what are we supposed to do in response to this? Well, I think the verses before it tell us. 
Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, he will abundantly pardon. So very key information here. First is that we should seek the Lord while he can be found. See, God understands time because he made it. And God interacts with us in a time, not because he's bound by it, but because it's what we understand. And there are times in our lives when God will come to you and draw you and speak to you in stronger and more clear ways than other times. And other times in our lives that we need to seek him while we can. Because if there's one thing that's certain, there will be no more seeking when you draw your last breath. There are no second chances at life, and there are no second chances at salvation. You will either fall on your knees before him in this lifetime and confess who and what he is, or you will do it in the next and be damned for all eternity. Complete sentence. Seek him while he can be found. Call upon him while he is near. You're going to find in this book we're going to study for about two months. This is going to be a repeated theme. God is a God that we can and should experience. Salvation is not a thing that happens once. Salvation is the beginning of a relationship that we have with the God who loves us, who sent his son to die for us and wants to commune and talk with us and have a relationship with us on a monthly, weekly, daily, hourly, moment-by-moment basis. He's not something we just do for an hour on Sundays. It is something, it is a person. God is a person. He desires to have a relationship with us, to commune with us, and we should spend time with him. The other thing verse 7 says is, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and our Lord for he will abundantly pardon I think there's two things that we see here. The first is that we should confess when we've been wrong. When we do things that are sinful, we should confess to the Lord and we should repent. That's where we stop doing the things that we are doing that are wrong. That we turn around and go the other way. So if there is a sin in your life, and you should not only confess that you are sinful in this way, but you should stop doing that, and you should do the opposite of that. You should bear good fruits rather than evil fruits. You should do good things rather than bad things. And that sounds very simple at the face of it, but the problem is, because we are bound by time and evil desires and this world, it's a lot easier to do the things we shouldn't do than it is to do the things that we should do. And when we mess up, we should confess to him and repent and go back to the first two, seek and commune with him. Why do we do this? That he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. 
or the King James says abundantly. We're told to forgive our neighbor repeatedly in Scripture. How many times is it, Amy? You've done the math. 400 and what? 490. Of course, it's not really 490. Us non-math people know that the point was that we're to continue to forgive people. If you've been saved, how many times will God forgive you when you mess up? If he's commanding us to forgive people 400 and some odd times, how many times do you think he's going to forgive us? But, I think he wants verse 6 and 7, the first part. Seek the Lord while may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. God wants to have mercy on you. He wants to bring you back to him. He wants to have that relationship with you. But we must seek, commune, confess, and repent to him. And the reality is, at some point in your life... You must do that the first time to receive the gift of eternal life and salvation, to be adopted as one of his sons, to be brought into the kingdom, if you will, to be eternally forgiven. And then those of us who have received that forgiveness, we must continue to seek after God. We must continue to commune with him. We must continue to confess the sins that we do on occasion. And we must repent of those so that we can be close to him because his thoughts and his ways are not my ways. And if if I'm stuck in my own sin, if I'm stuck doing the things that I shouldn't be doing, or if I'm just stuck not talking to him, I'm going to revert back to what? My ways. And I'm going to be in a vicious cycle, and I'm going to figure out I messed it all up, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to start again. And that part, the starting again, that's okay, that's expected, because God knows that we're not perfect. Here's the summary that I'm trying to get to today. Stop trusting yourself. Stop trusting yourself. Seek his thoughts and commune with him. Again, I say all this not because I've achieved it, because I know it to be true. Stop trusting yourself, seek his thoughts, and commune with him. There's others in this room who are listening who need to stop trying to get saved, but need to confess and to repent. These are requirements that are largely left out of many sermons today, which is a complete tragedy and is what even my great-great-grandfather was worried about. And what you'll see in the book we're going to be studying on Sunday nights, he was greatly worried about when he wrote that book in the 60s, was that we have left out the important parts of actually coming to know the Lord, and that is of being convicted of your sins, of repenting of them, and confessing to Him, and allowing Him to do the work of saving you. You cannot and will not do it on your own. Remember, any thought you have about how you can be saved, it's not his thought. And in some ways, you could argue it doesn't make a lot of sense to us. Wouldn't it be a lot easier if you could just repeat this line like four or five times and you're good to go? 
Wouldn't it be really easy if it's like, well, if you just attend so many Sunday services, God's happy with you. Wouldn't it make more sense if you gave so much money and somehow God was pleased with that? None of these things are the ways that God thinks. God thinks, I want you to come as a child. I want you to come humbly before me. I want you to realize the sin that you're in. I want you to uh, repent and confess and seek him while he can be found. And then he will save you. Foolishness to the world. It's amazing wisdom to the one who knows everything. So if you've been saved, you know the Lord. Stop trusting yourself. Your heart's deceitful and wicked. It'll fool you every time. And you're bound by these realities that we can't escape by time and by sin and by the state of the world. Start seeking Him, communing with Him. And if you're lost, stop trying to do it your own way. Confess and repent while he may be found. And you know what? Today is the day of salvation. That's what the Bible teaches. Today's the day. He's here. He can be found. Maybe just not the way that you think that he can, because his ways are higher than my ways. His ways are higher than your ways. And our thoughts are not His thoughts. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Pray with me. Lord, I pray that you would use this as you see fit. Lord, that you would speak to those who are listening today who need to hear this message in whatever way they need to hear it. Lord, because you are outside of time, because you are outside of everything that we are bound by, Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts spiritually. Lord, that you would move in us. Lord, that you would help us to understand the difference between our desires and your desires, our thoughts and your thoughts, and simply be given over to you. Lord, help us to put anything that is getting in our way aside whether that's a sin we need to confess and repent of, or whether it's our own stubborn thoughts about how we want something to be done. Lord, I pray that you would remove those thoughts and desires from our heart, and Lord, replace them with what you are thinking, with what you are telling, with what you are encouraging us. And Lord, I pray that you would do this today before it's too late. Lord, that you would bring those who know you into obedience to you and those who do not know you into salvation from you. Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen.